You're about to hear a challenging message from Pastor Josh Burks at the Ashburn Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. Oh man, I love that second song. I loved all the songs today, but it said, Dead men come out of that grave. When we sing, captives let go of those chains. When we praise, and I could feel those chains hitting the ground today. I could feel those lives being restored today while we were praising a God who is a matchless in glory. How many of you are excited this week for Thanksgiving? Anybody excited? Man, turkey, ham, mashed potatoes, mac and cheese. I'm ready to feast. Man, this is one of my favorite times of the year for several reasons, but I really enjoy this time to reflect on what God has done in my life in gratitude. Man, I want to encourage you to do that this week. Take some specific time, whether it's today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day you want to, take time to reflect on the goodness of God. Take time to reflect and experience gratitude in your life because God is so very, very, very good. Find moments of gratitude. And this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about something that I believe all of us could be grateful for. If you're thankful today, say, I'm grateful, and throw your hand up. Say, I'm grateful. Man, I'm going to give you another reason to be grateful if you don't already have one. This is something that you can add to your list. It's a reason to be thankful today. We're continuing a series called Open Heart. The heart is one of the most complex and vital organs in the entire human body. We say, so goes our heart, so goes our health. And it's not just vital to our physical health, it's also vital to our spiritual health. It's vital to our eternity. And too often, I think we don't know the true condition of our heart. We don't really know what's going on on the inside. Your spiritual heart is important. We started off this whole discussion talking about the heart patient's prayer. Then last week, we talked about the heart patient's power. And this week, we're going to continue the conversation by talking and discovering the heart patient's price. The heart patient's price. What is the heart patient's price? Henry David Thoreau said it like this, the price of anything is the amount of life that you exchange for it. The price of anything is the amount of life that you exchange for it. Do you know what was a rude awakening for me? The price of being an adult. Like it is expensive and it comes at you fast. Things that I thought costed nothing actually cost something. And I remember going back to that stage when I was 18 and I moved out when life just came at me fast and stuff was expensive, like car insurance, house insurance, health insurance, life insurance, insurance, insurance. Man, they have insurance for anything and you have to pay it every single month. Or that moment that I finally realized that there is no such thing as free Wi-Fi. It does not exist. You have to pay for it every single month. Or Netflix. For some of you, you don't know this, but there's a monthly subscription to Netflix. Some of you don't know it because you have a friend's login, but somebody has to pay that every single month. Rent, electricity, gas, every single month. Life is expensive. Everything has a price. And that includes your life. And that includes my life. My life has a price. Your life has a price. And over the past few weeks, we've been studying the heart of David. 
We've chosen David because the Bible says that David is a man that's after God's own heart. David is a man of valor. David is a man of courage. David is a man of strength and integrity. But we learned last week that unlike God, David is also a man of sin. Last week, we found out maybe the worst sin of David. David committed an adultery, committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. Bathsheba got pregnant, and then he decided he needed to cover it up. And the only way he felt like he could cover it up is if he killed her husband, Uriah. Talk about a crazy sin of adultery and murder. He did his best to cover it up and hide it from God, but he could not. He couldn't hide his sin from God. His sin would be uncovered. In fact, I think if we were to take a small survey today, even if it was just in this room, and we're to ask this room, what is the greatest sin of David? Most people would say that sin. The time that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the time that he killed Uriah, I mean, five people died as a result of that sin of David. Even David admitted it. He admitted his own sin. He said, I have sinned against the Lord, and it's true. All sin is bad. And and there is perhaps no sin greater than another. But I'm not super sure David felt that way. In fact, six times in the Bible, David, it's recorded in his life that he said those words, I have sinned against the Lord. One of those times, he adds the word greatly. I have sinned greatly against the Lord. We find this story recorded in 2 Samuel chapter number 24. And if you have your Bible, we'll be between there and 1 Chronicles 21 today. But open up to begin with in 2 Samuel chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We're going to throw it up on the screen. The Bible says this in verse 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. Now, who is the he in this passage? Who is the he? And the Lord called out, his his anger was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. Now, I want you to understand today that the numbering of the people was something that had been done in the past. And any time that it was done, any time the people of Israel and Judah were counted, it was because it was ordered by the Lord. However, If a king were to go out and and number the people of Israel and Judah without an ordering from God, it was sin. It was sin. And so it's very important today to understand who is the he? Who's talking to David in 1 Samuel 24 upon first look? It looks like it's God. But the same passage is actually recorded for us in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, where the Bible says this, Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. It wasn't God that told David to number the people. It was the devil. The devil was talking to David. And I think when it comes to our heart, when it comes to our life, we need to be careful whose voice we're listening to. I wonder who's your heart listening to today? Whose voice is it paying attention to today? Whose voice have you you tuned in on? Is it God's or the devil's? And if you're anything like me, in moments of my life where I really needed God to speak, at times I felt like he was silent. 
where I really needed direction or when I really needed peace or when I really needed God to speak, it was almost like he wasn't there. Why does it seem like when we need God to be the most vocal, he's the most silent? The Bible says that God's voice is still and small in the Old Testament. Still and small. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is we often listen to which voice is the loudest. I think that's what David did. I think he listened to the loudest voice, the one that made the most noise. And a lot of times we do the exact same thing. We come upon a decision, a crossroads in our life, and rather than seeking out and intentionally listening for the word of God, the voice of God, we listen to the voice that's the loudest. We listen to the voice that we put in front of our face through our social media, through our friends, through our relationships, and we're never really intentional about hearing the voice of God. And I want you to know something today, that if you want to hear the voice of God, you must be intentional. You must intentionally go to this book and see what he has to say. You must intentionally spend time in prayer asking God to direct you and speak. We must intentionally seek the voice of God. And I think if you and I are honest today, each one of us can admit that there have been times in our lives where we listened to the wrong voice. For the past couple of years, I was listening to the wrong voice. I've been a student pastor since I graduated college, but for the past couple of years, I could feel the voice of God kind of directing me to take a step in ministry, to change what I was doing and do something different. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what the timing was, and I came up with every kind of excuse that I could. I, I told myself a lot of things, a lot of things that made sense. Things like, okay, I'll make a change after I see a graduating class all the way through from sixth grade to 12th grade. I was one year away. I'll make a change after we train someone else to be the student pastor at Ashburn. Or I'll make a change after we launch a third campus of Ashburn Baptist Church. And all of those things are good things. But do you know what God taught me? Just because it's good doesn't mean it's right. And the only right timing is God's timing. The only right voice is God's voice. And for me to be transparent with you this morning, as I always try to be, I think I was distracted. I think I was distracted by all the noise around me, listening to the loudest voice, listening to whatever made the most sense, all the while God was speaking, directing, leading. But I wasn't being intentional about listening. I wonder today, church, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the noise around you, or are you purposefully, intentionally focusing in on the voice of God, on the words of God, hearing his still, small voice? David wasn't. Some of David's closest friends even came up to him and said, David, you shouldn't count the people. You shouldn't take a census. But David refused to listen to their voices. He continued on, and for the next nine months, he took a census of the people. For the next nine months, he sinned against God. He counted something that belonged to God as his own. 
And after the census was taken, the Bible says that David's heart struck him. That's what the Bible says. It says this in verse 10. But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. I have sinned greatly. It's the exact same response that David had when he sinned with Bathsheba. The same response when he got caught in the sin of killing Uriah. The exact same response, except that word, greatly. I sinned again, God, but this time it's greatly. I have sinned greatly, and I want you to know that we do serve a merciful God. But we also serve a God of righteousness. A God who is just. And maybe God agreed with David. Maybe it was a great sin because after David's sin with Bathsheba, five people would die. And after the sin of the census, 70,000. 70,000 people would die as a consequence of David's sin. Great sin. Great consequence. And I want you to understand something today, church. When we listen to the wrong voice, We need to be prepared for the consequences. Be prepared for the consequence. We chose our sin, but we don't choose our consequence. Our God is a merciful God. Our God is a God of second chances, but sin always has consequence. The Bible says that the pleasures of sin are for a season, but after that season is over, you can expect great consequences. Growing up, my parents... We're masters of the consequence. Whether it was like a grounding or a pounding, my parents knew exactly what to do to make me miserable in that moment. We actually had a paddle growing up. We did. They, they spanked me growing up. And one side said bad attitude. The other side said direct disobedience. And whatever we did was the side of the paddle we got spanked with. One day I was eating a red popsicle and I set the red popsicle down on the paddle and I forgot about it and it melted and it seeped into the wood and now it's like stained blood red on one side. It's so fitting because it is a form of torture. Man, that medieval device was used to bring consequence into my life all the time. And as a child, I remember getting in trouble and that was a huge consequence. But that consequence is nothing compared to the consequence of our sin. Even as a Christian, our sins have consequences that we do not get to choose. We serve a God of righteousness. We serve a God of of just. We we serve a God who, who will not let sin go unpunished. But what's even more dangerous is for those people who die with sin in their life without the intervention of God. Well, their consequence is far more superior. The Bible says that the payment of sin without God is death and hell. And I want you to know today, hell's no party. It's a place of fire. It's a place of falling. It's a place of fear. It's a place of finality. And anybody who enters into that place with sin in their life has a great price to pay, a consequence. David was facing a great price He wanted the pestilence to end. And so David was told to go and to make an altar and to sacrifice to God. This was a common practice in Israel at the time. While he's on his way there, he meets a man named Arana who actually offers to give David an oxen 
to just give it to them. Here, you got to make an offering to God. We need this to end. Here's an, here's an ox. You can have it. Here's David's response in verse 24. But the king said to Arana, no, but I will buy it for you from you for a price. I'm not going to offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. David said, no, this must cost me something. So David bought the oxen. But not only did he buy the oxen, he bought the whole threshing floor. He bought the whole piece of property where he was going to be building that altar. He wanted there to be a price. He says, my life costs something. My sacrifice must cost something. And I told you at the beginning, your life costs something too. Remember, Henry David Thoreau said, the price of anything is the amount of life that you exchange for it. Do you want to know the price of your soul? Do you know it? Jesus does. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus exchanged his life for the value of yours. He knew that there was a price to be paid for your life and that we couldn't pay it ourselves. So he paid the price we couldn't pay paid it for us. He paid what we couldn't. And so today I want your heart to be encouraged. Be encouraged because the price has already been paid. In a world where religion says do, Jesus says done, purchased, paid for, bought with the price. You know what's awesome? This is an incredible story. That's an incredible truth. It's not even my favorite part of this story because the story keeps going. I want you to see it. Here's how God responds to David's sacrifice. Verse 25, so the Lord responded to the plea of the land and the plague was averted from Israel. We just talked about this. Man, through Jesus, God has averted our punishment of hell. He's given us a new chance, and that is incredible. Man, today, if you haven't accepted that free gift, you need to. The Bible says God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. you got to accept it. You can't leave today without it. Your life literally depends on it. But that's not the end of the story either. See, one of David's lifelong dreams was to build a temple, to build a house, to build a home for God, but he wasn't gonna be the one that was able to do it. The Bible actually talks about it. It said that he saw too much blood shed. God said, I can't let you do it. You've shed too much blood, but, but your son, your son will build me a temple. Your son Solomon's gonna build me a house. He's gonna build me a home. And here's what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 3 about this house. Then Solomon began to build the temple, the house, the home of God in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father, David. Ooh, ready? It was on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, the place that was provided by David. Do you see it? Do you see the connection here? 
the place where the altar was built, the place that was the pinnacle of the greatest sin of David would become the very location for the temple of God, would become the very place for the house and the home, the temple of God. And this is amazing, especially profound for you and I. Do you know why? Because your heart and my heart that has been sacrificially purchased by the life of Jesus has become the temple of God. It's become the house. It's become his home. Don't miss it. The location that was once deceitful above all things and desperately wicked was now the place that the spirit of the living God resides. That's his home. That's his house. Romans actually says it like this. He says, what? Don't you know that your body, that your heart is the temple, the home, the house of God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body because it's his already. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, be amazed. Be amazed at the grace of God. I'm never going to get tired of this. I'm never going to stop preaching about this. Hey, Christian, I want you to know something. This part of the message, this whole message, isn't for the new guy. Maybe we got to the part where we started talking about heaven and hell and you kind of turned it off and said in your mind, oh, this is for the visitor. This is for the guy who needs Jesus. No. Josh Ty said it like this. He says, the gospel isn't the doorway to Christianity. It's the canopy of Christianity. We don't just get saved and then have that in our past. No, we get saved and then we live under the grace of God. I want you to know that your story is a story of God's amazing grace. Don't get tired of it. And this Thanksgiving, when you take time to be grateful for what God has done in your life, take a moment and just be grateful for amazing grace. A life that didn't deserve it, who God died for and now resides in. That's amazing. Amazing grace. That's the gospel. The gospel about how God makes the blind see how God makes the lame walk, how God makes the, the beggar full, how God makes the dead rise, how God makes the seas calm, how he makes the weary strong, how he makes the tired rest, how he finds the addict's recovery, how he gives hopelessness, hope to the hopelessness, how he restores marriages, how he turns lives around, how he flips the script, how he removes the stain. Sir Edward Landseer was one of the most famous painters of the Victorian era. His talent developed early. He had the first showing of his work of art at the Royal Academy when he was just 13, 13 years old. He was commissioned to do a number of official paintings of, of, the, of the royal family. He even gave private lessons to Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, but he was best known for his paintings of the natural landscape, of the beauty of the land around him, specifically in Scotland. One day he was visiting his family in an old mansion. One of the servants tripped and spilled some soda water all over the wall. At first the family was very angry, but Landseer calmed them all down. They all left the house except for him. He stayed behind. He took some charcoal and began to work a beautiful piece of art onto that wall. 
When the family returned, they were amazed at what they saw. They asked where the stain went, and he said, it's right there. He pointed to the center of his painting where there was a beautiful waterfall. What was once a mess is now beautiful. And he used his skill to make something beautiful out of what was once an unsightly mess. And today, I am so grateful, God. And you should be too. Because our God took a mess. He made it a masterpiece. God took what was botched. He turned it into beauty. God took what was a disgrace. And he turned it into something amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm saved. Amazing. Amazing grace. Thank you for listening. If you don't already have a church home, please join us for one of our upcoming worship experiences. We would love to connect with you. Ashburn is a wonderful community where you can grow in faith. You can follow us at ashburnbaptist.chicago or visit at 3647 West 83rd Street, Chicago, Illinois. Thank you.